At Bible study this week, one of the passages we looked at was when Jesus and the disciples were leaving the temple to go to the Mount of Olives. And one of the disciples remarked to Jesus how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. And Jesus responded, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. I'm pretty sure that the disciples weren't expecting that response. But the disciples then asked, Teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? Not who's going to do it or why is it going to happen, but when. When is such an important question to people. For us, we have this desire to know when things will happen. How long until can I get this done before that happens? And so often in our lives, we don't know when and we have to live with the uncertainty. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit, of course, but so often we find ourselves lacking. We would like to know when, but we don't. Neil reminded us at Bible study that the temple wasn't destroyed until AD 70. And it's likely that the people who heard Jesus that day weren't still alive when it was destroyed. I remember doing New Testament studies and asking my minister what the significance of the destruction being 30-something years after Jesus' prediction was. And Phil, the minister, just shrugged and said, I don't know. While we do not always know God's timing, we do know God's faithfulness. If God says it will happen, it will happen. And we have this wonderful assurance throughout the scriptures as we see what God has promised happening. And so we come to this morning's reading from the book of Jeremiah and it begins, The days are surely coming. And this is a phrase that comes up several times in the book of Jeremiah, where God, through Jeremiah, assures his people of what will happen. Not what might happen, but what will happen. In chapter 23, we, we read, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, that he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in chapter 30, For the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people. And earlier in this chapter, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah, with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy and bring evil, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. And he continues into chapter uh, 33. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, Jeremiah the prophet has a gloomy reputation. In fact, he's often referred to as the weeping prophet and that's based on his wish to have a fountain of tears with which he might weep for the slain of his own people. He was not simply prophesying gloom and doom for the people, but he also cared for them. He cared deeply. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, we read of his personal grief, his anguish, and his anger in his doing the work of God for 40 years. And in return, he received little more than condemnation and hatred from those he had been sent to prophesy to. In the book of Jeremiah, we see 
God expressing his frustration and disappointment with his people because they have wandered away from the covenant relationship that had existed since the time of Moses. God's warnings to the people had become reality. Babylon had invaded, the the temple had been destroyed and the survivors were taken into exile. But despite Jeremiah's gloomy reputation, he also shares tremendous hope. Hope for the future, hope that the people might not have been able to pin down to a specific date, but hope that was nevertheless sure and certain. The days are surely coming. In fact, chapters 30 to 33 of the book of Jeremiah are so poignant that they have been become... They have come to be called the Book of Comfort or the Little Book of Consolation, a kind of book within the book of Jeremiah. And our reading today is part of that book. Comfort for the people of Israel and comfort for us because what is promised to the people all those years ago, which we see fulfilled in Jesus, is there for us today. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant and that with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Jeremiah is the only Old Testament prophet to use the term New Covenant. We know it well because it is used many times in the New Testament and forms part of our our regular worship language. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, This cup that is poured out for you is the New Covenant in my blood. And Paul uses it in his letters to the Corinthians and it's used several times in the letter to the Hebrews. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the prophets refer to a coming everlasting covenant, which speaks more to a renewal of the existing covenant between God and his people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But here, Jeremiah talks of a new covenant, a new covenant that is surely coming for the people. We today know the story of the fulfilment of God's plan in Jesus. We know that the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus' arrival in history. We know that it prophesies his life and death and resurrection, and we we know that those prophecies are confirmed in Jesus. But when we read the Old Testament today, we need to remember that the original hearers, or indeed the original writers, didn't have that confirmation. In the context of today's Old Testament reading, Jeremiah and his audience didn't know what we know today. They did not have our historical perspective and nor did they have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. But Jeremiah lived and prophesied around 600 years before Jesus. From the reign of King Josiah, King of Judah, until after the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of Solomon's temple in 587 BC. When he, he was called when he was only a boy and he was called at a time... Uh, when the country was in serious trouble. His career spans a time of incredible catastrophe for the people of Judah. Jeremiah was called to speak while the Babylonians were invading, while they were burning Jerusalem and carrying vast numbers of Jewish people into exile. Jeremiah was then one of a small remnant left in Judah, living in the midst of the rubble. The people who had been promised God's protection and deliverance were either in a foreign land or in a place of desolation. The people had been torn from the land, the promised land, the land poetically described as flowing with milk and honey, the very land that God had given them. 
And so Jeremiah was called to lead Judah through a time of lament, through weeping, through mourning and to repentance. And in the midst of all the sadness, he revealed hope and promise for God's people. Even though the circumstances were terrible and everything suggested things were hopeless, Jeremiah and the other prophets of the time proclaimed that God's people could still rejoice and still praise God for his promises, even though they had broken the covenant. They assured the people that God would not remain angry, that God would be faithful to his people and would restore them. They told the people that from death would rise new life and also a new way of relating to God. Jeremiah was given a proclamation to make that God would initiate a new covenant with his people. His covenant, had, um, his people had violated their existing covenant. They had bowed to gods like Baal and Eshtoreth and Molech and others. And even though the people weren't faithful to God, God was faithful to the people. Of course, there was a consequence to the people turning away from God, a, a terrible but not permanent consequence. They were invaded and exiled and taken to the very brink of destruction. But even as those things were happening, God spoke through the prophets and spoke of mercy and of compassion, of redemption and of restoration. God would not leave his people in the dark place they were in, but would open the way to reconciliation and would ultimately redeem people and begin a new or renewed covenant with his people. And so, as we've heard today, Jeremiah reveals what this new relationship, this new relationship between God and God's people will be like. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, he says. The law here isn't just a set of legal requirements. It's not simply the Ten Commandments. To the Jewish people, the law, the Torah, is the first five books of the Old Testament. Not all that is commandments. Most of it is simply the story of God and his people, in particular the story of Israel. So this promise of having God's Torah within them and on their hearts and minds isn't about them learning the right thing to do and memorizing and obeying rules. Instead, it's about knowing God and knowing God's promises and plans. Jeremiah tells us what God promises. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The new covenant is not a one-way thing. We, together, are God's people. We are bound to one another. And while we each have to make our own decision to follow Jesus, once we do that, we are not just individuals who follow Jesus, but we become part of something bigger than ourselves. God's people. Or, as Paul later puts it in his first letter to the Corinthians, the body of Christ. We follow Jesus together. We take up our crosses and walk together. When each of us decides to follow Jesus, we become part of a bigger whole. Each of us has different gifts and uses them in different ways, but we work together. Being a, Christian's, being a Christian means being part of Christ's body, one piece of a larger whole. Jeremiah goes on to say that God tells us they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Those who have been going to church for a long time often take this for granted or, or miss the significance of it. We get used to the words and the prayers and the declarations. Yes, yes, God is revealed to us in Jesus. And yes, yes, I have a personal relationship with him. But this is a profound idea. 
take a moment to ponder it. God, the creator of all things, is knowable to you. God isn't this cosmic idea that we we might be able to glimpse or contemplate if we just do the right things or if we might make the right donations or if we say the right words or if we fast or meditate in the correct way. Instead, we can know God. The greatest of us, the least of us, we can all know God. God isn't unapproachable. In fact, quite the opposite. God in Jesus chose to approach us, to enter our world and make himself known to us. For Abraham to know God and Moses to converse with God was different to what was happening in the nations around them at the time with their their different gods and different faiths. In other societies, the idea was generally that you had to appease the gods. You wouldn't become a, a friend of Baal or Ashtoreth or Molech or any of the other gods that they had. You couldn't know them. You might know things about them. And you would do everything you could not to incur their wrath. But you would never enter into something that could be regarded as a relationship with those gods. By contrast, we get to know God. Not just know things about God, but have a relationship with God as we would have a relationship with each other. And the challenge for us is to realise that the new covenant is some not somewhere off in the future for us, as it was for uh, the people of Jeremiah's time, but it has been delivered for us in Jesus. And having realised that, to embrace that covenant, to be part of that relationship that God calls us to, we need to let God put his law within us. Let him write it on our hearts, not simply remember and follow God's commandments, not simply to be good people, but to build our relationship with God and with each other, to live as God's people. And it doesn't matter what we can do, doesn't matter what we have done, whether good or bad, because in Jesus we have the assurance that Jeremiah shared with the people of his time when he said, No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Amen.